Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome. I think this is one of the last sessions for today. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. Um, my name is Latsen. Uh, the, the only reference that I have is a Swedish soccer player that plays now for LA Galaxy. Uh, he's a little bit crazy. I love him. Uh, I think he's, he made it like MVP for MLS, if I'm not mistaken, or something. Or at least he's got the best goal. Um, so I'll be talking to you about uh, simplifying Microsoft architectures with AWS services. I come from a very long kind of Microsoft background uh, uh, before joining AWS. And uh, I've been with AWS for about three years or so. I work with various ranger and um, research teams and so on in the past. And uh, I'm very passionate, of, you know, being very passionate about AWS as well. Being originally myself, uh, from South Africa, where uh, I don't know how many of you know or don't know, uh, South Africa um, basically is responsible for AWS in a way that's where AWS was started in Cape Town uh, by a team of South Africans. Uh, and uh, so now I'm, I'm here. I live in uh, Orange County um, in Irvine. Um, these are some of my interests, and, uh, and let's jump straight into uh, simplifying those architectures, right? Um, so, more on this thing, um, I'm going to go through a lot of the concepts and, uh, and the story around how we see and how we try to simplify this as much as possible. Hopefully, by the end of this presentation, you will see that uh, Microsoft is a first-class citizen on top of AWS, that we are open to it just as we are open to anything else, um, impartial and agnostic, and that um, we've designed and created many, many services uh, to help uh, make that happen in many ways. Um, I, I will go over a lot of concepts, uh, so I do expect you to uh, kill me with questions at the end of this. <laughs> so, so at the end of the session, please come forward, and I am more than happy to dive deep into any of the concepts and any of the services that I'm about to go through. Okay. So first things first, let's uh, see how we can simplify infrastructure and our infrastructure environment. So one of the first ways on how we... Uh, we're simplifying infrastructure, and this is all, you know, not just coming from, you know, being a solution architect, but also being part of professional services for many years, uh, you know, for AWS, and, and also, you know, working on with di different clouds in the past before, before that. Um, this has been always kind of a fairly kind of straightforward and, uh, uh, you know, given way on how you kind of branch out, not just to different clouds, but, you know, different data centers and stuff, you know, in more kind of, uh, global deployments and more national deployments um, of both infrastructure and solutions. Um, so the common patterns, um, it was the shared, shared VPC pattern that we were priming for the longest time. Uh, basically, it meant having replicated services uh, that are sitting in one VPC and then they branching out by means of uh, VPC peering uh, to other VPCs, right? Um, what is great and not great about that? Um, what's great about it, it's establishing a VPC peering thing as long as you basically uh, you know, got uh, your routing right as well, as well as your cider block ranges right and there's no conflicts between them. It's pretty seamless, right? Setting it up um, is pretty easy. Uh, however, uh, your network in this case does not have transitive properties, which means A can't see B, B can't see C but ABC can see the middle one. And that's been great for all the you know, uh, things that needed to be shared, like um, 
I don't know, Active Directory, um, you know, system, uh, system Center, um, I don't know, common SQL farms, and as well as SharePoint farms and things like that, and as well as any other shared, um, shared solutions, um, exchanges and the likes, and so on. We've had then uh, an option of more a transitive, uh, uh, you know, um, network setup but by means of uh, transit VPC, and that very basically involved, um, you know, putting two uh, CSRs uh, that are, you know, two router, two router appliances, for, you know, for for availability resilience. Um, that kind of routed traffic to all the VPCs. Um, it wasn't the most elegant solution. It uh, reminded a lot of the old data center solutions. That's why we kind of you know, disliked it. It also meant that uh, you needed to kind of go ahead and uh, you know, reach out via, um, via public, um, uh, public subnets uh, to other VPCs in order to connect to them. Um, and also, uh, it really meant what kind of, what kind of um, instance types you were using um, to uh, uh, to run uh, those CSRs in, those, those, those router appliances, the cloud routers, um, like, you know, Cisco ones and all that. Uh, and uh, you have, um, you know, if, if it was limited by bandwidth, if the bandwidth increased and the, it was limited by, uh, uh, by the actual instance type, then you would have to kind of, you know, fail over between the two and increase instance types and stuff. But if you guys have been looking at our announcements, uh, of, of some great things that we've just introduced. We now have AWS Transit Gateway. Awesome stuff, right? So now you can basically, um, for what was, if you see on, on your left-hand side, that's kind of how it was before, how we needed to establish peering and the whole thing. Now that's not the case anymore. We can actually um, establish transitive network across multiple VPCs, connect them up um, wherever they are, um, as well as uh, uh, connect all of the other data centers um, that you may have and you know, additional VPNs that you may have. Um, right now, we do not, it is available for you to use and configure today, and I uh, encourage you to go ahead and do so. Uh, right now, we do not uh, have support for um, Direct Connect, and that Direct Connect support is coming in, I believe, in January, well, early 2019, so almost there. Um, but um, right now, you got uh, the network that establishes across. It has up to uh, 50 gigabits per second burstable speed um, between all the networks. Uh, and um, you know, it's, um, it, it, it outputs all its, all its logs as well as the, um, you know, all the um, flow, you know, VPC flow logs and, and all, this, all of this sort of stuff to um, a CloudWatch. Uh, so you have you know, fully kind of integrated environment as well in uh, AWS, it's very easy kind of to set it up and, and you know, advertise it to accounts that you need to share it with and all this sort of stuff. So um, I encourage you to check it out. If you check our uh, Twitter feed and all that, you'll see that we already pushed out um, actual blogs on how to have it set up um, uh, through the new AWS Resource Manager. So where do we start from? So every time with every kind of deployment and, you know, Cloud deployment doesn't have to be specifically into AWS. Um, it, first, things about, first things first is that you know, a lot of Microsoft workloads um, are very chatty, and they need to have domain controllers very close to them. So its first thing is about actually pushing out domain controllers and extending your domain uh, um, you know, into the cloud, in this case, into AWS. Um, so that's pretty, you, know, you would establish a VPN or direct connect over and just drop two DCs. Uh, extend it over, and that's great, right? 
So that's kind of the basic and the first thing that we've ever went to. Um, now, then we, we could also federate over. So we could actually drop two DCs that are on a different domain um, uh, completely. We can establish a uh, WS Trust and, um, and federate over between on-premise or other da data centers uh, to AWS. And now we have, uh, you know, also, uh, um, and we're going to speak to more about that now, uh, manage Active Directory, as well as AWS SSO uh, to provide that federation over. So before we were doing with ADFS, as you can see, and that, that's not necessary anymore with the AWS SSO, um, which has both pre-integrated authentication to a whole bunch of other web, you know, uh, cloud applications, and, uh, and also it, it, it obviously works with all the SAML ones as well. Um, so we can actually have that established, or we can um, run... Uh, a, or have a forest trust between the two. So that can be a separate forest um, that, you, that you've uh, deployed in um, you know, active, uh, active domains, uh, ADDC, uh, into, um, into AWS, or you have um, deployed, um, once again, managed active directory, um, and uh, that has to run on a separate domain itself. So now one of the things that we have and that we've added as well is the support for multiple accounts and Amazon VPCs within the same region uh, to, uh, to basically have direct access to managed AD. Now, you can, that means that basically within managed AD, um, you don't have to have it, you know, with managed AD, let's say, running in, uh, as you see on the left-hand side, the, way, the old way that we've had through VPC peering over. Um, in fact, managed AD has built in uh, way of uh, sharing itself as a resource to all the other um, all the other VPCs, and you can do so, right? Um, and you know, without without the means of even you know uh, uh, you know gateway and all this sort of stuff. Um, so 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 those are that's that's kind of what we offer now. That has been released, I think, a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what are the key features of our managed Active Directory, and why you should uh, consider it? Um, well, basically, it's a real Microsoft Active Directory, full-blown. Um, you know, we even su support, um, you know, extended schemas and all that, which probably only if you're an exchange user, you're probably going to take advantage of that. Um, it has full trust support. You can have one-way or two-way trust. It has group policy support. Uh, it supports, obviously, multiple accounts and, um, uh, and Amazon VPCs, which I mentioned just now. Uh, what we've released not too long ago, um, as well as seamless domain join. So it's well integrated into the rest of the services, and um, in, you know it can uh, um, it can work really well with any of the you know instances that are domain dependent that are coming up um, for seamless dom domain join itself. What are the other things? Um, it can be a single directory for all your cloud workloads. It's highly available. We take daily snapshots. Um, we pipe our logs, all of that, to, cloud, uh, to, to CloudWatch as well. Um, there's, you know, it's fully integrated into the full environment. You, not only that, you can actually, uh, same thing we do with RDS as well, our managed uh, SQL Server, uh, well, as well as other managed uh, databases that we have in there. And you, you can actually create events on that, and you can automate based on those events um, as they come through. And we also offer federated access to AWS Management Console, right? Um, so, um, so that comes kind of out of the box with, uh, you know, and that does require to have a two-way trust between your on-premise AD and, uh, um, and obviously uh, Microsoft managed AD on our side. So, 
we've had a lot of questions and all that kind of working with the Microsoft community around you know, customers that do have Office 365 and Azure workloads and kind of how, do they, how can they take advantage of that um, and how can they take advantage of, the, you know, of all of their um, resources and, and services that they're running um, because most of the majority of the infrastructure they would be running, in fact, in AWS. Uh, but they do have Office 365. It's easier for them, um, depending on the use case, obviously. Um, so basically, you can, you know, normally they would have an on-premise Active Directory uh, that goes ahead and establishes a trust um, on our side. And then, you know, that will enable authentication authorization, um, you know, whether it's to other instances, whether it's to other managed services or... Um, you know, are the business productivity services. I don't know if, if you've knew, if you've known of all the ones that we have, such as Workmail, Workdocs, Workspaces, and so on, as well as QuickSight, which is our um, awesome, uh, uh, you know, um, self-service BI uh, power uh, uh, service powered by actual Spice Engine, um, and and things like uh, things like that, right? Now, now it actually works also with uh, with our managed uh, with our machine learning offering and so on. But, you know, there was kind of more disconnected way, but with introduction of AWS SSO, right, or ADFS, um, in the past, uh, we could actually federate over directly uh, to, to Azure AD and uh, 365. And that's one of the uh, pre-integrated um, offerings from AWS SSO, AWS uh, single sign-on. So, what is this AWS single sign-on that I've flashed in front of your eyes a couple of times already, right? So let's start off with AWS organizations. I really implore you to check it out. This is something that our customers love. This is something that, uh, that is fairly popular. Organizations allow you to manage multiple accounts uh, and policies for those accounts uh, you know, in, 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 you know, from a single way, so on a single console. So basically, you can have different organizational units um, and, you know, those, those could be mapped to different roles of people that are doing, like, development, task production, and so on. And, um, and you can kind of manage accounts. You can assign, uh, you know, different people and so on. So the challenges before were, well, how are we going to, you know, manage these, not just AWS accounts, but also numerous credentials? Uh, how are we going to access those business applications and how hard is it to set up because we have to use something like, you know, a lot of our very valued partners and solutions like Pink Federate and uh, Okta and so on. They're great, right? But some of them, you know, like uh, Shibboleth and ADFS can be a little bit more challenging depending on that. I don't know how many of you have used Shibboleth before. That's an open source way, open source platform for the federation. Every time when they go to a new new version, it's like, it's a completely different install. <laughs> so the way it works, it's a bit of a nightmare, but it works uh, pretty well. So AWS SSO works with, directly with um, organizations, and it does require you to have a managed AD as well deployed. So it, you create identities and all that in uh, managed AD that then they get federated uh, and, um, and roles get created for access for users, both developers, right, uh, from an API CLI perspective, as well as console access um, to different accounts, but also to many, many, many different uh, pre-integrated 
you know, pre-integrated pre cloud applications um, out there. And I do have a list of them, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, but th the list is actually much, much bigger than what I have on my, that's on the next slide. Um, so it does connect to AWS organizations. It does, fil it does allow you filtering by OU, basically mapping uh, organizational units, and does have automatic single sign-on support for AWS accounts. It is centralized, allows you to centrally manage all of that and uh, define, apply, and reapply permissions, right? And this is just about half the, the list of, of uh, uh, different, type, different other uh, pre-integrated, uh, commonly used cloud applications. So you'll have everything here, Zoom, Slack, uh, Formi, Smartsheet, Kudos, Liquid Files, Domo, Dropbox, uh, Box, um, Office 365, Tableau, New Relic. Um, so Salesforce, of course. So there's a lot of GoToMeeting, GitHub. So this thing just got G Suite, of course, as well. So all the, you know, Google productivity, not just, not just Microsoft productivity tools and all that. So that, this thing is much bigger than it's shown here. So check out our pages because I couldn't fit everything in a slide. It was ridiculous. Um, so how does it work? You literally pick a pre-integrated application. You follow step-by-step customized instructions um, for, for each of the, uh, you know, for, you know, for the application that you picked out, and then you configure single sign-on and assign access. It's really fairly simple and straightforward to do so. So um, go ahead, check it out, um, see how it works. Give me your feedback. I'd love to pass it on to our product team. So what about, what, what is the other thing that we can make, make easier for you from, from an infrastructure? So we now, we gave you patterns on how to, you can manage your own identity and authentication and security, but you know, we also have all these managed services that we've given you, whether it's Active Directory, whether it's single sign-on, and all of this sort of stuff. But the next thing would be SQL Server, right? So we have Amazon RDF for, for SQL Server, so if you want to, you don't, if you don't want to worry about scaling high availability back, database backups, DBMS patching, DBMS install and maintenance, leave that to us. We will gladly do so, right? Now, this thing is running on fully blown, always on availability groups, right? Um, you can configure all of that, how you want it to run and all that, you know, how frequent you want backups and all that. The logs are being sent to CloudWatch. You can actually subscribe to events. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do. Um, we keep on kind of expanding as well uh, around the things. If you think about like what is the, you know, um, what are the limitations? Think about the limitation in the sense that what would be, the, you know, the, the, the bare minimum required for us for this to be a managed service, such as, you know, we need to kind of have, uh, you know, unique access to um, obviously the nodes that are running um, and, and the services um, because we are responsible for them. However, you can do whatever you like. And for the things that do um, uh, require system level access, we did create a whole bunch of uh, store procedures uh, allowing you to actually execute. If you need to kind of run something against master DB or something like that, you can do so, right? Which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, you know, including making backups and a whole bunch of other things. And obviously, um, things like if you have, I don't know, store procedures that, that want, like, file system level access and want to, anything that wants the file system level access, you know, that's kind of, that's out of the whole thing. However, everything there is, uh, is something that, uh, you know, kind of fits most of the scenarios and is extremely popular with a lot of our customers. 
You can just as well run SQL Server all by yourself on EC2 um, and me make it very easy to do so. Yes, you are responsible for scaling high availability database backups, DBMS patching and a whole thing, um, install maintenance and OS patching, but quite honestly, uh, you can actually use AWS System Manager, which I'm gonna be talking about in about half an hour, I think, judging by how she left. Um, so um, you can actually automate a whole bunch of these uh, um, actions. And on top of that, you can use AWS Quick Starts uh, to launch a fully blown, um, always on availability group, um, running in AWS, fully configured together with, um, with Active Directory, uh, already set up, uh, and or you can use the managed flavor of Active Directory if you want to. It's just a flip of a switch. If you right now put in Google AWS Quick Starts, and on the first link that you click, you scroll down to find a SQL Quick Start, it will set up this, what you see right now in front of you. Um, three node, it's effectively a two node, um, uh, always on availability group in, sync, in full sync mode with uh, auto failover with a third file share witness. Um, and it will kind of, it will you know, run as part of the same WSFC cluster um, across these nodes, uh, allowing you to switch over. All you have to do is just restore whichever database is and, uh, and start replicating, right? <coughs> this has been basically a way that we've been performing migrations as well for a lot of our customers. It has been a way also for our customers and buttons to go ahead and extend to multiple different regions, right, um, in order to, you know, alleviate things like, um, you know, what you can't do nothing about, like latency and stuff. Like, that doesn't really matter. Even if you have, have straight latency, you know, all the way to Japan, you still, you know, or to Mars itself, it's still going to take you 13 minutes to reach Mars <laughs> and, to go, and to come back, right? So, um, so in any case... Um, you know, not, not that we're going to be replicating SQL to Mars, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> so you can go ahead and you can do async uh, um, replication over. We would literally just stand up, um, you know, um, application and web servers on the other side and then do a cutover um, between the two environments. Uh, so this can be a not, two regions, or it can be a data center and a region, and this was a very effective way for us uh, to start off with our customers, uh, uh, with using AWS as a, as a DR site and then fail over completely to AWS and decommission uh, both the servers and the data center for our customers. <clears throat> but one step forward, this is something that has been very, um, very popular um, and, um, and more and more so. With 2016, well, specifically with 2017, SQL 2017 SKU, uh, you uh, can actually run always-on availability groups on, um, uh, across uh, uh, Linux, uh, specifically Pacemaker. In fact, I've, I've done a video showing you how to configure that um, in, uh, I think, videos that are just about to get released. Um, uh, uh, specifically. Um, so if you follow me, I, I do have my Twitter. When it does come out, I'll share it um, on Twitter. Um, so basically, you can, um, you, uh, 2016 gave us always, uh, distributed always on availability groups. First of all, for those of you, how many of you know what availability groups are? Oh yeah, pretty much everybody, right? So that provides you with a nice redundancy availability and replication to different nodes. Right, distributed always on availability groups um, allow you to actually establish 
two different availability groups and replicate between the two. Why, what does that mean? So if you go back to what I was showing you around different types of setups uh, for Active Directory and the whole thing, um, some of the customers were like, you know what, we want to run a separate domain, we want to use your managed Active Directory, but um, we want to we run it separately, we do not want to extend our domain from here to here, so, um, because that would mean that you need to extend a WCFC cluster between uh, you know, on-premise and AWS. So they said, hey, why can't I have a separate domain over here and replicate over, and that's uh, uh, distributed always on availability groups, allow us, this is now SQL technology, allows us to replicate between two different clusters. So they don't have to be uh, on the same WCFC cluster, they don't have to be on the same domain, so all of these dependencies fall off completely. They just need to be connected, right? And um, so right now with 2017, I can establish always on availability cluster on top of Pacemaker, on Ubuntu, uh, and, uh, and I can replicate from uh, the, the Windows WSFC cluster, right, to uh, the, the, the SQL running on top of Linux, on top of um, Pacemaker cluster. And, um, and we can have hybrid Windows Linux environments that way. What's so great about uh, SQL running on Linux? Well, you don't have to pay for the Windows license, right, to run it, which actually cuts it down to about the third of a cost. Right, it's significant, it's more than significant, right? And it's kind of running on a, on a lineal platform as well, so it's easier to kind of control and manage your resources. More so, there's a third option for distributed always on availability, availability groups, and that's you can actually replicate between two servers without them being on a cluster. So if you look at this, if you set it to type of none, that means that you can just have a uh, uh, you know, Windows Server running with SQL and uh, Win uh, Linux running, Ubuntu, let's say, running with, um, with SQL, and they can replicate between one another without the underlying cluster technology being necessary. Awesome, right? Um, for those of you that are still fans of old uh, failover clusters, you know, by all means, you can do it, right? Uh, you know, for those of you that are veterans in the game, uh, you probably you know uh, most of the setups were basically failover cluster instances uh, with log shipping over to a DR site. Uh, why do we have to have log shipping over to a DR site? Because failover cluster instances only provide us with a node redundancy, right? They don't replicate the data like always on availability groups do, right? So if one of the if if the data if a, you know it gets corrupt or something like that, it doesn't matter how many nodes we have and whether they're active, active or active passing. The whole thing is gone. <laughs> so you need to have a uh, way that you can backup data. So if you insist on using failover cluster instances, you can use one of our partners, uh, uh, Cyrus Data Keeper Cluster Edition um, or Windows Server 2016 Storage Replica. And I do have another announcement what you can use from us uh, <laughs> that we, that we uh, recently actually um, now uh, released. Uh, so if you look at how running all of this that I was t telling you about and how does it look like, right, as a, as a complete picture from what I showed you from the beginning kind of to, in, to the end from an infrastructure perspective, you can see, you know, you can have your VPC, uh, you know, that is running, that is connected either v, uh, via VPN or Direct Connect. Um, you can choose whether you're using Manage Active Directory or RDS SQL. Um, as, uh, you know, um, uh, as, as your managed uh, service on our side, or, and then obviously you would um, uh, auto-scale 
uh, you know, both the application as well as uh, web front-end service. Um, you can have internal and external. Um, classic LB and obviously application load balancers that provide you, sev uh, provide you with the seven layers of uh, protection support. Uh, NAT gateways will allow you um, basically with uh, uh, routing for any of your servers to pull any updates that they need if they need to. Um, you, have, uh, you don't need things uh, like um, proxy servers or bastion servers anymore thanks to things like uh, system manager, and I'm going to elaborate on that later on in, uh, um, in about 20 minutes. And, um, and you can obviously take advantage of, obviously, uh, uh, web application firewall, AWS WAF, as well as our CDN, you know, our content distribution network through CloudFront, uh, and services like AWS Shield uh, for uh, DDoS protection and all that. And now we do have also the, the, the global uh, accelerate service that allows you to effectively um, uh, shift uh, traffic um, based on where the people are coming from, uh, uh, from CDNs to, uh, to, to, to the right kind of region, uh, you know, based, based on literally on the geographical uh, as a, um, source of the users that are uh, trying to get to your application. So there's quite a bit of advancements. Uh, we do have things like uh, Cloud HSM as, you know, to provide hardware level support. Uh, you can actually, you can encrypt both, um, you know, all the servers as well as uh, data. Uh, KMS is used for kind of, um, you know, encryption at rest, or you can use uh, on a database side both, uh, you know, KMS as well as uh, um, transparent data encryption TDEs for encryption at rest. Um, you will see that our managed services are all like um, PCI HIPAA compliant. We can achieve a compliance with the rest of the architecture following, uh, obviously, the compliance uh, um, in kind of, you know, rules and set up the, the way and as well as our well-architected uh, framework, if you guys have looked at it. Um, there, are, uh, there are a whole bunch of services I will cover now as well that make, uh, you know, monitoring as well as uh, DevOps and um, development easier for you and your developers um, and your ops people. Uh, so let me go forward. But before I go, we have, uh, we have just announced Amazon uh, FSx for Windows File Server. Um, so basically, it allows you to lift and shift your Windows file storage with fully managed uh, Windows file servers. Um, it has full native Windows compatibility. It's obviously fast and flexible. It's enterprise ready, fully available, uh, fully resilient. It has broad accessibility, and it's fully managed by us. And what do I, what do I mean by saying native Windows? Well, it's... Uh, uh, using NTFS on native SMB uh, 2.0 to 3.1.1. It integrates directly with Microsoft AD, and it supports my, uh, Windows ACLs, um, as well as DFS namespaces and DFS replication, right? So that's, that's another thing that we've done um, for our Windows, Windows native workloads. And of course, Everything now can take care of their shared storage, right? Um, we've had EFS before, but it didn't have Windows compatibility. Now this is specifically, um, specifically launched for our Windows customers. So how do I simplify deploying all of this? So you say, Zlatan, this is all great. Look at all this amazing, easy, managed. Uh, nothing is easy. Don't, don't trust anybody who says it's easy. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> Uh, the, the, this, this whole infrastructure and all this great stuff and all these services. Well, 
basically, you still do that through CloudFormation. CloudFormation, we've done quite a bit with CloudFormation uh, to extend it to work across, uh, you know, multiple accounts, even in multi-region, um, you know, aspects and all that um, with different stacks. Um, you can also do that. With, we've done that automation before that with things like step functions and all. I do understand that there are people um, that, that lie, like different things like Terraformer. Um, there's um, also, um, uh, from, from my friends from HashiCorp, there's also open source uh, uh, projects like Troposphere. I don't know if you looked at it, but you pro programmatically can build it out. Um, but basically, for those of you that know, you know what AWS CloudFormation, for those of you that don't know, that is a uh, schema-based explicit language for defining your infrastructure completely, as well as all the dependencies that that infrastructure may have. For the most part, CloudFormation is smart enough to figure out that uh, you know, what its um, dependencies are. It, it can uh, roll back the entire infrastructure when you're done with it. Uh, and you can, obviously, it's, it's really good to segment and segregate different layers of infrastructure. So I would separate, obviously, network layer to security layer, uh, you know, to data layer to application layer, and have those separately deployed with different things. It does allow you <laughs> to store this like it's a piece of code and then um, to, to, to run updates with it. So any change, um, CloudFormation is smart enough to figure out what the diff is between what has been deployed before and what it, has uh, what it wants to deploy now and deploy only that and roll back that in case something happens. Um, you can obviously establish stages through uh, um, CFN in it and um, um, you can actually, uh, for, for your servers, and you can um, um, embed uh, things like PowerShell and all that to be executed as part of uh, you know, what, what you would bootstrap to those servers. And you can also define, you know, like I said, the, the stages. The stages meaning that you can restart servers, then re, you know, uh, rerun again something, then restart them again, then rerun something. So this, this, it, it's quite extensible on how far it can go. If you go and check out that SQL uh, CloudFormation that I showed you from a quick, quick start, that's a free CloudFormation. All the quick starts are free CloudFormations. You can learn and see how we utilize that specifically for, um, and use that specifically for um, uh, Windows workload um, you know, um, deployment. A lot of these CloudFormations that you see are customers have used for production deployments with very little change. So I implore you to check it out. Um, and we keep on trying to add to that more and more and more. Obviously, all of this is, uh, you'll see also links. When you click on them, you'll see the links for them in GitHub. And you can go ahead, uh, which means this is open source. You can contribute to it. You can fork it. You can complain about it. You can do all these cool things, right? And uh, we'll obviously listen. So, so now we've deployed all this great uh, uh, you know, infrastructure and all that. Um, and we, we had full freedom on how we want to deploy it. We could have used any of our services to do so. The reason why I'm showing you CloudFormation, you might have a preferred way on what service. You might have a Jenkins. You might have something else that you want to use to actually deploy it. And you can use, I'll show you later, our CDCI services as well. But let's, let's now look at how we can migrate over. So there are many migration tools. Um, so here I have... Many of our very valued customers, uh, sorry, partners, uh, ISVs that provide tools for each of these. So you can see I have it separated on discovery and planning, seven database migrations, data transfer, and application monitoring profiling. Um, so look at our partners once again, but we also have our AWS application discovery service here. We have 
uh, AWS SMS or server migration service. We have our database migration service, DMS, um, as well, um, which actually does direct uh, um, and continuous uh, um, migration, rather replication of data, um, um, allowing for very minimal downtime and you know, very easy kind of uh, cross or, um, cutover. Um, and then we have things like S3 uh, transfer acceleration. We have uh, appliances like AWS Storage Gateway, which you can drop that will directly send um, all of your um, uh, storage uh, data from your data centers to uh, S3. Um, you can use things like Snowball and Snowmobile. How many of you have seen that? Right? Uh, so Snowball is literally a piece of almost indestructible uh, <laughs> box that actually, a uh, hardware rather, where you can just store, um, I think it's something like uh, yeah, 80, uh, I want to say 80 terabytes of data um, in each. Basically, it's for petabytes of data. Uh, you, know, you can obviously sequence up as many snowballs as you want. But if, if you have even more than, I don't know, several petabytes of data that you want to transfer really quickly, and that literally you send over, right? You mail it back. It comes back with, its, uh, with the return uh, you know, mailing label, and it mails itself back to our data center. We plug it in, and we, we, uh, we copy over all the data directly. Um, you can also have Snowmobile, which is a big truck so <laughs> that you can just plug in and do. And obviously, everything is uh, you know, uh, fully, um, fully encrypted. Obviously, only you have the keys to it, and nobody else can do anything uh, with it. Obviously, you can track it down and all this sort of stuff. It's very quick, um, and it's pretty cool. It's a simple concept, and it's a concept that works. Um, and then there's... AWS, the uh, Direct Connect, uh, that's basically a lease line over. Uh, showed you that in a, in a diagrams early on. Um, and customers use that for like temporary uh, kind of boost of speed, right? Uh, to get over, uh, to, uh, to transfer, um, you know, up to, up to, I don't know, uh, 10 gigabytes, uh, you know, um, lines um, over directly from uh, your uh, service provider directly to our data center, right? Um, and we also have, we also support things like MPLS, depending on your provider, and then you can kind of reach out to that. I don't know how MPLS is now relevant uh, with our new gateway service, but, uh, you know, something to consider depending on your current infrastructure or your customer's infrastructure, right? Um, <coughs> MPLS has traditionally lower speeds, right? So it's a bit of a, you know, but hey. Um, then we have, you know, Kinesis and Data, uh, uh, and data Firehose. Uh, which is Firehose is basically uh, still Kinesis, but it's more of a even more managed service with more integrations into the rest of our services. It's great for pulling out all the logs and data in real time and pushing it out to AWS as well as anything else, right? Even media processing and other things. Um, then uh, for monitoring, we do have CloudWatch and AWS Config, but you know our customers love things like AppDynamics, Dynatrace, New Relic. Um, you know, many others um, as they're coming through. So what is our kind of, you know, what is our example migration sequence? A lot of you have probably heard a concept called landing zone. You have probably looked at our well-architected framework, I'm hoping. Um, you've seen kind of what, how we prescribe how, uh, you know, uh, cloud workloads should be deployed. Um, so landing zone means that, you know, full setup of the infrastructure, um, that includes the networking, uh, subnets, routing tables, setting up CloudTrail, CloudWatch, VPC flow logs, how they're gonna be consumed, what's gonna be used, and how system manager is gonna be used, um, inspector config and all that. So 
Um, then establishing security of it, right? How, um, which security groups are going to be used and what's going to be closer, what's, what traffic is going to be allowed from a security perspective. Um, you already, most of the traffic cousin you, you define with, uh, you know, with your route tables and routing. Um, and then uh, first thing, like I said, we're going to establish Active Directory and manage Active Directory. Then we're going to extend SQL or establish, you know, replication via database migration service of SQL or establish, you know, uh, distributed always-on availability group or extend existing always-on availability group if it's earlier version of SQL uh, that doesn't pro uh, pr uh, support uh, um, distributed always-on availability groups. Then we will stand up those same servers um, on, on this side, bring them up, and, you know, mind you, they don't have to be running all the time. You can just, you can just create cloud formation and bring them up when you need them. You can test it out as many times as you need to, and you can test out the cutover between the two. And then, you know, hey, um, you can then perform, you know, once you perform extensive testing and all this sort of stuff and establish what your uh, rollback is um, as per your uh, run books and all that. Um, and rollback is pretty simple, right? You're replicating data between the two. You're standing up the same environment. You can just roll back or cut over back to the same environment, or you just stay, obviously, uh, on AWS. And then you plan a cutover, right? You sure ensure final replication and synchronization. You might decide that you want to switch some of the database to read-only, so they don't, you know, there's, there's no updates that happen at the same time, uh, and the updates only happen on the other side. Um, and maintain that rollback after cutoff if necessary. So, um, what about actually getting all these servers, you know, and this is more kind of for a lift and shift. Um, I'll be honest with you, we try to discourage some of this lift and shift because we want you to rather use this opportunity to refactor as much of your, um, you know, legacy uh, applications, your technical debt, your, uh, you know, um, all these monolithic applications that you have and try to take advantage of as many of our services and serverless services as much as possible, right? But for, you can use to migrate also all of your um, VMware as well as Hyper-V environments um, via AWS uh, service, uh, SMS server migration service. It's a HIPAA-eligible service. It's completely agentless. It can capture, uh, as you can see, incremental changes made to on-premise VMs and automatically transfer them to AWS. Um, it, get, it, can, it supports resuming failed replication jobs. And you can set up hourly replication intervals. You can say, you know, replicate this within these 24 hours or, you know, this within that. And then you can kind of segregate it like that. And then um, you have full... Uh, management, obviously, an API and CLI access, so you can extend on it with any of the scripting that you want. Um, you can migrate a group of VMs, you know, uh, simultaneously and orchestrate how you want to do this. Um, and each of each replicated server volume is uh, becomes a new Amazon machine image, uh, AMI or AMI, whichever whichever way you prefer to call it, uh, which can then be launched as an EC2 instance, right? Um, for encryption. Um, we use KMS to encrypt those and customer master key CMKs to encrypt EMEs, providing basically all the benefits associated with our KMS service. Um, but you, 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 know, you supply your own CMK uh, personal, so, you know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's adhere, uh, adhering to both your security as well as compliance standards or whichever organization, let's say public sector, you may be working for. <coughs> So we have this migration hub 
um, that kind of takes advantage and kind of orchestrates all of these services. So that includes the discovery service, discovering and you know existing um, applications and servers, then uh, migrating through the SMS that I showed you, um, and or any other tools that you may choose that we integrate directly with, and then tracking that uh, application migration status. What does that look like? Um, looks like this. Um, basically, you can have, uh, you can see exactly how many servers, which groups of servers are migrating. If there's an issue, you can actually see what that issue is. You can kind of, um, you can dive, uh, you know, click through and and find out if there's any patterns to issues happening and things, and and if there's something happening on large scale and address that as soon as possible, rather than you know, um, losing valuable time before you realize what's happening is something wrong is happening, right? And more so, what we recently launched is uh, AWS DataSync. Um, so basically, that allows you to, um, you know, NFS uh, replication um, via DataSync agent. Um, that is deployed as a VM and connects to your NAS or file system, as you can see to your NAS device in your corporate data center, which will then do WAN transfer, um, um, accelerated uh, data transfer over WAN to fully encrypted uh, to AWS. Again, via data sync service to either Amazon Elastic File System or um, Amazon S3. So this is a new service that we have just launched uh, to further help you with, uh, you know, with either you know, migration or continuous replication of data and sync of data between multiple environments. <clears throat> so, now we got the whole migration story, right? We, did, we got the infrastructure, we know how to provision infrastructure. Uh, let's look at our developers. What can we do for them? So, first things first, um, our code services, right? Starting off with code pipeline. Code pipeline has been basically our uh, service that we were using internally um, as Amazonians, and um, our customers have seen it and said, hey, why can't you extend this uh, and um, offer this as a service to the rest of us? And we did so. Um, so basically, it's an orchestration CDCI service that manages each um, you know, as DevOps aspect from source, build, stage into production, right? So how does it work? Um, and you can kind of establish each of these um, each of these steps, which can be sequential, parallel, uh, you can have manual um, approvals and a whole bunch of cool things. Um, so it works kind of separate into these, these kind of four stages. Uh, it will pull source code from AWS code commit, uh, S3, and why S3? Because everything integrates with S3. Anything can send stuff to S3, and the event of receiving something onto S3 can initiate the CDCI pipeline, um, in this case, code pipeline, um, GitHub can be a source. CodeCommit is obviously our uh, hosted, uh, managed Git, Git service. GitHub and Amazon Elastic Container, ECR, uh, the ECR registries for uh, launching uh, containers directly from our container registry. Um, you can perform build, uh, and this is .NET builds as well as you know, on Linux and on Windows environments with AWS code build. Um, you can also use code build for testing and, uh, um, um, you know, besides actually building packages, you can also use things like Jenkins and Solana CI. Um, you can then perform tests here with uh, AWS Device Farm. You can again use Jenkins, Blaze Meter, Ghost Inspector. These are all 
you know, third-party uh, partners, SIs, that, uh, so rather um, um, ISVs that we support, um, MF Sto uh, Storm Load and all that, and Runscope API. Uh, but we also have our services because we know some uh, customers also like, uh, some of our customers like things done the Amazonian way, as we say. Um, and then from a, uh, from a deployment perspective, we have um, co-deploy um, that can deploy both, uh, um, you know, not just, um, you know, to um, actual packages to EC2, um, it can also do blue-green deployments, but it can also do serverless deployments and uh, actual uh, CloudFormation deployments. Um, CodePipeline itself can, can execute CloudFormations itself as, as one of the, within any of these stages, as you can see. Uh, and um, we can also use Elastic Beanstalk. I don't know how many of you have used Elastic Beanstalk. A few. It's it's very easy way for .NET developers to create entire environments, including like database and instances and security and everything that comes with it, um, and um, and kind of use it as a one-stop uh, um, kind of deployment environment with a single click of a button in Visual Studio. But single click of a button in Visual Studio can also take advantage of uh, Code Pipeline and any of these services. Um, service catalog, uh, and then obviously Amazon Elastic Container Service. And now we support, as a new thing, blue-green deployments on uh, Amazon Container Service. So we support blue-green deployments for EC2 instances, we do support blue-green deployments for containers, and we support blue-green deployments through code deploy for uh, serverless services, for lambdas and the like. So what does it mean? Blue-green basically means that we can bring up another environment parallel to the existing environment, copy exactly the same environment, run all the tests. Once it passes, then we can start draining traffic from one environment and uh, releasing it into the other environment. Not only that, we support canary deployments, which means that you know, if you're not sure that your lambda is going to work or something with your serverless, you can actually um, um, you know, kind of release only 5% of the traffic to this environment and then incrementally change it until it switches over completely, right? Um, so you can define it fairly quickly. Uh, now, we can do that with any type of workload you need. And that's really taking advantage of the cloud to the fullest. So what type of tooling for the net do we have? We have SDK, um, we have uh, tools for PowerShell, we have tools for PowerShell code, uh, obviously AWS Toolkit for Visual Studio, uh, AWS Tools for Microsoft Visual Studio Team Services, some of you know Microsoft renamed their VSTS to uh, um, DevOps, uh, what, Azure DevOps. Um, and, um, and we also support man, uh, many extensions for the .NET CLI. So basically, um, you, can, you can actually use PowerShell in, in favor of um, you know, CLI for any infrastructure kind of coding that you want to do. Funny thing is, uh, we had... Um, workshop on Tuesday that uh, was level 400 was all about resilience and chaos uh, architecture. And um, 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 I was part of the workshop. I created a PowerShell scripts for chaos architecture to do that. Uh, and I was laughing at my colleagues because uh, my PowerShell, this was PowerShell CLI effectively for AWS, uh, was, was less than half than I don't know, the, the leanest script that they had, which was in Python. Bash was like more than twice the size and all that. So we've done a lot of work to make very efficient, um, you know, scripting, uh, or to allow very efficient scripting with PowerShell for AWS tools. Um, VSTS is, would basically be replacing, um, you know, maybe your 
maybe your customers or maybe your, your, your .NET developers are already using it. We already have the tools so to extend it directly to our services. Um, and uh, Visual Studio, last but not least, as you can see, fully integrated with our environment on the left-hand side. It will allow you to choose profile as well as region, and then you can have uh, access to all the services, right-click and do whatever you like. You also have things like one-click one deployments of, um, um, of the solutions as well as a whole bunch of templates for different types of solutions. So it could be solutions that take advantage of our AI services, solutions that take advantage uh, for, for creating um, Lambda for creating, um, you know, normal EC2, EC2 deployments that want to, uh, sol um, solutions uh, that you want to containerize, so you just have to clean, click containerize this, it will actually, you need Windows, uh, uh, Windows Docker to run actually on there, and it will containerize it and send that container out to ECR and deploy it to ECS as well. Um, so. Everything, in, and it also allows you to create roles and security that you want to define, and all that through a very easy step-by-step uh, uh, -step process um, uh, through a wizard. So uh, if you insist on staying on VSTS, we support you there fully. Um, if you want VSTS to be the key, or rather to be the one that orchestrates and not code pipeline, more than welcome to do so. Uh, we support, uh, um, we have the VSTS tools, can deploy Lambda, can deploy out to code deploy, CloudFormation, Elastic Beanstalk, um, and so on. Uh, and, um, you know, as well as take advantage of other services like uh, S3, SNS, uh, CLI, um, and also um, uh, deploy things that I'm gonna kind of, uh, that I'm gonna cover now, um, uh, run commands for System Manager, and take advantage of System Manager parameter store. <laughs> but before I, before I jump over on the system manager, uh, I'm going to briefly cover the Elastic Beanstalk. I saw a few hands that only came up, so it means most of you haven't used it, or you can mention it to your developers if that's not your role. Uh, but we support all different uh, versions of Visual Studio. It does allow you this one-click deployment. Um, you can have a one-click deployment, obviously, to AWS itself without Beanstalk. Um, but uh, with Beanstalk, what's great about it is that it, it, you don't need to use the CloudFormation aspect of it. it Beanstalk, you can, with Beanstalk, you can define the entire infrastructure behind what you want to deploy your code to, including your databases and security aspects and everything that comes with it, right? If, if it's authentications and things and users, there's quite a bit that you can have uh, pre-created. So it kind of combines both your code and CloudFormation and infrastructure deployment at the same time. If you say, you know, Zlatan, thank you very much, but that's also, that's so complicated, way too complicated for me. How am I going to now figure out how to uh, configure this code pipeline and code build and all this sort of stuff? You know, we've created AWS CodeStar. And what CodeStar is, we've created all common uh, developer uh, tasks that our customers are working on. And we keep on adding to, uh, to this thing. You can see, you can kind of uh, select what, what do you want to create. You want to create web application, web service, static website, or, and you can choose which programming language. And you'll see that we've created many, many templates for many different projects. What this will do, this will actually create the full CDCI pipeline for you. It will actually uh, configure all of it. It will seed the project with a with a, um, um, with a test application, .NET application. So you li literally can just swap your code with the test code that we've put in uh, quite easily. It will integrate with Jira. 
Uh, you can create your entire uh, uh, project team and add projects, uh, uh, you know, project members in it as well. Uh, assign them roles and tasks and all this sort of stuff, and it will have like a full, um, full dashboard showing you all of this. So it's it's pretty awesome, right? Uh, and uh, so it's, and it, it it will it will allow you to actually see full end to end and kick the tires of it, understand and change it to whatever liking you need to have and all that sort of stuff. So it's pretty cool uh, if you're starting off and just learning. Um, so. What about the architecture? How, how can we actually simplify .NET architecture that is being built? So I already mentioned that we can publish containers out. Um, you know, it's kind of very, two, two easy steps. Uh, you can just say publish a container to AWS. Um, it will then take your application, um, create a Docker file for it, and then uh, publish it out to uh, the container service cluster that you choose, um, and to ECR, right, to, to store it over there. Um, what, is it, what does it take to run things uh, on ECS clusters? So basically, ECS cluster, uh, and I'll mention EKS as well. I work quite a bit with Kubernetes. I don't know how many of you are Kubernetes users versus ECS, um, but it's really, you know, tomato, tomato. Um, you have um, uh, container instances that are actually running the need to. So what we would do, we usually segment different EC2 instances based on uh, you know, instance types like uh, those that are um, memory optimized, that are compute optimized, that are storage optimized and all that, um, depending on the type of services that we built in containers that we want to run. And then test definition basically has information about defined Docker image, uh, memory, CPU, as well as uh, um, placement strategy. Say, you can say to which uh, you can create affinity for specific uh, servers that are in the cluster, and you can say where you want which uh, um, uh, container to be deployed to which groups of servers within that cluster. So you want to compute optimized servers, or you want Windows servers, or you want Linux, or you want memory optimized, and all that, and whatever other classification you want to use within your cluster, right? How you want to uh, uh, create that affinity. And then um, SAS definition create, create, uh, contains uh, multiple container definitions, so that allows you to uh, deploy a fleet of containers. Uh, once again, the registry is the one that keeps uh, uh, all, the, um, all the container images. Uh, services can be long-lived, or it can be, they can be um, um, batch services, but we also have AWS Batch, which you can use, that is an overlay on top of ECS uh, that allows easy batch execution of containers that you may have. Um, it, it integrates very easily um, with um, the rest of our services, such as it can take the advantage of uh, the load balancer and everything. Uh, for the most part, the way ECS works is that it assigns um, uh, ENIs, elastic uh, network interfaces, individual ones to individual containers, right? Um, that, that, however, uh, limits uh, the, the number of containers that you can have running per host. Um, the way EKS works, our managed Kubernetes service, uh, is that um, we um, use uh, secondary IPs that we assign to pods, right? Uh, that means that you can have many more IPs uh, assigned to a single host, and in that sense, I don't know, you can have like up to, I think around 750 or something pods per, not, not, not that it's necessary, not just you're probably gonna be running so many on a single host, because you're always gonna have multiple worker nodes that are running across. Um, the way, the way uh, Kubernetes runs behind the scenes, you have your etcd servers and your master nodes, right? 
uh, that are spread out across multiple, um, multiple availability zones. They need to spread out across three uh, to achieve um, uh, quorum. And um, as such, and then you have worker nodes um, that can be in each of those. Uh, and obviously, Kubernetes manages that orchestration. So the quick one on Kubernetes is that Kubernetes, you can take advantage of Kubernetes uh, as, uh, features and services. You can, you can use their uh, you know, horizontal and vertical scaling and other third-party services, whatever the case is, or you can take advantage of our services. So you have full uh, uh, Kubernetes kind of environment that you can use, um, but you can also use, um, you know, um, you use our services that will uh, positively complement, obviously, uh, um, you know, or your Kubernetes deployed architectures. Fargate, if you don't want to manage anything <laughs> about uh, uh, um, any infrastructure behind your containers and you just want to, you have a container, you want to deploy it and you want us to worry about managing uh, uh, the container infrastructure behind it, um, you use Fargate to do so. Awesome, awesome way to do it. You just define what you want to use, how much you, which uh, image you want to use, uh, how much you want to, you know, um, uh, how much RAM and CPU you want to assign to it, and up it runs, right? Um, same, stu same stuff like this, defined through the definition, and it runs, except we run the container and everything behind it. Serverless. Um, so serverless architecture, um, basically, you can run, you know, whether it's your mobile phones or mobile applications, Alexa services, and all this sort of stuff, they can all run via API gateway, uh, down to lambdas. Lambdas effectively uh, is a next level simplification away from Fargate. So we've had EC2, we've had containers that simplified further, and then we had Fargate that, that takes away even management of, uh, uh, you know, of containers itself. Uh, and then we, the next bit is um, lambda. And lambda, basically, you just write code. And that's all you need to do. You don't even have to worry about whether it's in a container or not. Right, <laughs> so, um, so, so with that, obviously, you can reach out to and take advantage of any of our, you know, um, also serverless services like uh, DynamoDB, which is a complete uh, self-service, as well as uh, now Aurora, as probably you guys know uh, from an RDS uh, perspective. Elasticache has Memcache and Redis. Uh, that you can take advantage of, and many other services that you can use. You can use Staff Functions, uh, which is your state machine workflows. Very easy to configure through Amazon uh, markup language, uh, which is basically JSON. Uh, and then you can use SQS. You can use uh, Simple Notification Service, SNS, which can talk to other services, as well as send you emails and uh, send you SMSs even to your phone. So it's a great uh, services for large-scale deployments. Um, you can kind of run everything through CloudFront distributions um, uh, that's, uh, that go, you know, re get replicated from S3. So there's quite a bit that you can actually uh, do without even having to consider an EC2 server, right? And to run it completely. Um, so please, please do consider that. Why is that important? You don't have to worry about resilience, about availability, about, about availability zones, about regions, about all that stuff you don't have to worry about, right? It's great. Um, you know, something like DynamoDB has master-master replication across the world, right? You have amazing, you can take advantage of amazing you know, uh, infrastructure that um, most companies could not afford on their own. So I showed you a CloudFormation template, and I don't expect you to squint much on it, 
but this would, it would look like to actually deploy API gateway with Lambda, with, uh, with DynamoDB, right? So we said no to that. And this is one of the coolest things that come out of our marketing department. It's called SAM the Squirrel. Uh, so SAM stands for Serverless Application Model. And it's basically a, a, a simplification of uh, AWS CloudFormation. Um, and, you know, so it's based on an open specification. You can, again, you can go to the GitHub, you can contribute, you can fork, you can complain about it, you can do everything. Um, so what does it look like? That whole thing that you saw here, that's literally this becomes this small and compact uh, template. As you can see, you define where, where, you, where you put your code, uh, what the handler for the code is, what is the runtime, in this case, Node.js. We have pre-created policies uh, based on the type of serverless service that you've created because we know that, you know, for certain kind of combinations of services, you know, we can pre-create secure uh, policies specific for that. And you say, yeah, I want an API to it. Um, which methods do I want? I can say any or I can, you know, specify get or something and a uh, path for it, and bam, this thing is smart enough to work out to deploy API Gateway, Lambda, and um, a list table at the bottom that you can see, uh, which is a DynamoDB table. <clears throat> what about creating, putting all of that into a pipeline? So that same pipeline that I showed you earlier, right, you, it can actually uh, deploy serverless services. The difference is, um, because serverless is basically just like deploying normal infrastructure. So it's being deployed via AWS CloudFormation steps. CloudFormation is smart enough to figure out if you put in SAM template that's a SAM template to switch to it and it will use it as a SAM template, obviously. Right? So you deploy it as a CloudFormation step. Um, you do, you know, create chain set, run, you know, ex execute chain set, uh, run stubs, and then you can basically, you can use other lambdas to test API. Uh, methods of your Lambda, or you can use uh, things like RunScope API and other third parties to do the testing yourself. Um, it's very important to test end-to-end, -end, not just to test Lambdas. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing is to test your syntax and to test the API and the logic of your code, but you need to test it also how it works in relation uh, to all the other services. All the other services, right? How does it work with API, with S3, with step functions and all of that? So it's important to extend that testing to that as well. And obviously, I can say more on that. And the last but not least, and I will let you go, I promise, is the <laughs> simplifying the management. And thank you for bearing with me uh, in this extra time. Um, so enter system manager. It used to be called um, uh, <laughs> simple system manager. And then we dropped simple. <laughs> Because it's not simple anymore. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it should be still simple. Uh, but um, in any case, um, you can do things like um, you don't have to log into the servers in order to do any ops tasks or to run any scripts. You can use run commands to run, execute one command to multiple servers at the same time, right? Um, you can use state manager to maintain the state and inventory of each and configuration of each server. It looks, works like a desired state configuration server. In, in fact, recently we released integration with desired state configuration server for those of you that like using it for whatever reason. But, um, and then we also have a distributor which can actually distribute all the software and packages to different boxes, to different EC2 instances and so on. We have maintenance windows uh, that can be defined for things like uh, patch management and all that. So you can, different, you can define actual 
um, uh, uh, KB articles uh, uh, for specific Windows patches and specific uh, Microsoft patches, right? Whether they be, you know, uh, SQL and so on. You can define those KB articles specifically and you can say how you want them applied when. You can define maintenance windows for that. You can carry inventory, not just inventory of all of your infrastructure, right, which config does, and system manager integrates with our config, with AWS config, um, but in config will give you also timelines of how, uh, how um, um, infrastructure changed over time, and you'll know who changed it what, and you'll know who to murder with what weapon, you know. So, so <laughs> but inventory will also track what's installed on the server and what changed on it um, itself in addition to AWS config. Uh, and then automations are amazing because uh, they allow you to perform these upstarts. Like we need to create new golden images continuously with pulling updates and all this sort of stuff. You can create an automation. In fact, I work with the product team uh, on creating that. I was creating lambdas to kind of um, update uh, uh, the um, uh, auto scaling groups, launch configurations, and then clean up the old ones and create new AMIs and clean up the new, the old AMIs and so on uh, and stuff like that. Um, so I'm very proud of that, so that, that's pretty cool. And you can automate all these ops, irritating ops tasks completely. Um, but coming back, it, it comes down to run commands, right? To, 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 to how to execute it to fl fleets of servers at the same time. So word of caution, because we've made that mistake, us, mistake ourselves as well internally many times. Um, um, <laughs> as I say, uh, to, to error is human, right? But to propagate that error, to all the servers at the same time is called DevOps. So, <laughs> so, so be careful with run command. Just as well as you can automate all this stuff, you can bring down fleets of servers at the same time. So it doesn't matter if you're running in multi-AZ, multi multi-region environments. You will bring down your servers in one go. Um, but it's extremely, and it, it means that you can, in a very secure way, manage all of this. You don't need to have any bastion servers. You don't need to, you know, go via, uh, you know, um, public subnets and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, you don't have to be exposed more than you have to. So, um, basically, your, your security, uh, you know, is, is a lot tighter in this way, right? Um, and then you can, you can pack all these things out to CloudWatch and uh, CloudWatch logs. So, in, you know, including, um, obviously, uh, uh, you know, every, every, all, all the services that I've showed you so far, they all pipe things out to CloudWatch. I keep on saying, uh, this goes out to CloudWatch, this goes out. And if, if there's something that you have third-party running that doesn't go out to CloudWatch, it's fairly trivial to actually create, um, you know, agents to go ahead and send those logs out to, to, to CloudWatch. Um, you can also take advantage, if there's many logs to go through and all this sort of stuff, you can take advantage of services like Kinesis and all that for uh, real-time uh, log distribution, right, and ingestion um, of, uh, of this. And then um, you, can, you can then, um, what CloudWars does allow you to do, which is awesome, for each kind of log event, it creates an event, and you can hook into that event and execute Lambda on it, and you can create automations that can uh, self-heal, self-fix, or self-mitigate uh, any issues uh, or any configurations directly with CloudWatch. Um, you know, and, and you can also create, obviously, alerts and stuff which can be sent out you know, to, to, you know, via emails or uh, diff different distribution channels. Um, 
you can then take advantage of all of that. You can um, pipe it down to um, Elasticsearch, which can, you know, then you can use Kibana to show it. You can use any of the third parties. Um, Elk Stacks, and we know with Elasticsearch and Kibana on our side, because it's a managed service, it's very easy. It's been very popular because it's cheap and it requires no licensing. A QuickSight, which is a, a self-service BI uh, engine that can actually very quickly kind of parse and uh, create um, um, you know, reports for you and all that. And you can obviously send it out to your favorite uh, chat service like Slack and so on. And I swear to God, these things would take minutes for me. I mean, in the morning, I would finish up like in a task for, I don't know, SecOps teams that wanted to have uh, information about uh, some of the changes uh, to uh, the security groups and how they wanted to mitigate them directly from their Slack channel. So I actually spent more time on making it picking nice colors in Slack to make it look cool when it pops out, uh, then, then actually, you know, uh, the whole Lambda API gateway setup that I was using, um, you know, to, to, to kind of talk back and forth. Um, it's very cool. It supports web hooks and all this sort of stuff, like what, like what you know, things like Slack want and so on. Um, obviously, you have many, many different things. Uh, there's you know, uh, threat models with networking that you can do for VPC flow logs. Uh, they, you have things like guard duty and all that. You have all these AI services um, that can actually prevent and help you with it more. Uh, we only have limited time. I have gone over my time, and I love you for doing it. And I love the cameraman over here for still filming me. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for staying this long. Um, if you have any questions, come and talk to me. I'm very deep on all these subjects. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. Anything I don't know, I have a legion of extremely smart people, much smarter than me, behind me. And I will more than, be more than happy also to offer their assistance, of course, without them knowing. Uh, <laughs> this is my uh, Twitter. This is my email. As you can see, I'm very important. It's my first name at Amazon. Just like Jeff, you know, what can you say? Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you very much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the reInvent.